We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the... Bronx Pinstripe Show. I literally almost said <laughs> I was going to say baseball season because uh, I don't know. There's a lot of things going on in my head. It, it, it's only 8.34 in the morning and uh, I, I feel like I've put in an, an eight-hour workday already. Scott, how you doing? Good, man. Doing well. It's uh, you know, it's good to see all the guys, everybody together at camp. It's, uh, it's a lot of kumbaya, man. Best shape of the life, the whole deal. It's like but everything, everything's time, happening. That might be real. Because we're going to talk about the new and improved Giancarlo Stanton. Best shape of your life to to at this point of your life. That's the thing. Like these guys all come in at 23, 24, 25, and they're just, you know, they're okay. ready to they're ready to go. But yeah, the like after 30 Giancarlo Stanton, this is the best shape of his life. Well, let's let's clarify. He looks like he looks like Slenderman. Best baseball shape. Maybe not best shape, like you're, you're going for cover of GQ or something like that. No, no, no. Two years ago, Giancarlo Stanton chiseled from stone. Okay, maybe that's better for, for a muscle magazine. But as far as being a baseball player, which he talked about, like this is actually legitimately a transformation. I saw that picture. There's a, the, the shot has been going around social media of Judge and Stanton in the outfield. 
And and Judge, lo- Judge, Judge looks Judge looks like he put on fifty pounds of muscle. <laughs> I was like, he, either he looks, he looks like the goddamn Hulk. <laughs> either Judge has been doing nothing but drinking protein shakes and 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 lifting weights for the past three months, or Giancarlo Stanton legitimately shed like twenty pounds because that's what it looks like, and maybe a little bit of both has happened. But Stanton actually looks like a human and not a cyborg. Finally, like Judge wears his muscle much more naturally than Stanton ever did. Like Stanton was like bodybuilder type of muscle. He was stiff. He was cut. Stiff cut. Like it, it just didn't look natural. And part of that was maybe his batting stance and how he just like hacks at the ball and everything. But as far as being a baseball player, his quote when he was asked why he made the physical change, Stanton said, be a baseball player again. I just need to be more mobile. A lot of setbacks last season kept me from not moving the way I'd like to be. Yeah. Like you don't need to be able to deadlift 500 pounds to be a good baseball player. You need to be mobile. You need to be flexible. You need to be able to sustain a six month season, 162 game season. You're you're still going to have your power. You're still going to be hitting laser beam line drives all over the ballpark. I'm sure he'll still lead the league in all the stat cast categories, blah, blah, blah. But if this can help him be more of a baseball player, uh, I'm on board. If he's got the flexibility, so again, like I'm glad he came in the way he came in. The The jury's out on if muscles are one thing, but age, when it takes your body, it starts hitting the joints. It starts hitting your ligaments. It starts hitting like all those other things where when you shed weight, yes, that's a, that's a big help. But with his... With his swing, the way he's so uh, you know upper body heavy in the in the in the way that his mechanics are, I'm very curious to see how that how it helps him because he he needs to get that that flexibility through his his lower body. He needs to to make sure that you know everything can clear the zone in a in a way that is positive for his swing. And this is this is the right body mass, I think, for him. But I need to see how how Father Time uh, has has taken. Taking control of what's underneath, you know what I'm saying? Like, because that's that's the real thing. Like, this is all great. These are beach. Yes, he looks. He's gonna look great with his shirt off. He's gonna look great on the beach. He's gonna look great with all those things. But when you swing a bat 500 times, what is your body doing? Because that's to me the that's where the jury is out for me. So this is all great. Um, I just need him to to I need to see how his mechanics are, and 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 not just to start the season, but in July, are his mechanics in a at a place where they're sustainable? Um, you know, with this, with this new, this new body. So it'll be interesting, so, but he's right. I, he he did the things that he needed to do. I think as far as the right. you know, getting in, getting in the correct shape. I just Googled Giancarlo state in 2014, Google images, just for the, just for shits and giggles. And he looks 2014, at least he looked more like he did last year or two years ago. Like what, what the Giancarlo Stanton has been for the past five, six seasons. Like the, the um, what's this muscle called? The, 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 that's your shoulder. Your, no, it's not your shoulder. It's the muscle like between your shoulder and your neck. The deltoid. Lat? Is that your deltoid? So it's a lat pull down. It's a, no, the it's lat a, is your back muscle. Whatever, a, Ilya, quick, some quick Google sh- searching on what that muscle deltoid. between. Deltoid. I don't know if that might be your deltoid. Anyway, literally bulging out of his baseball uniform. And maybe that's not going to be the case anymore. Um, tra- like tra- uh, trap. Yeah. Put your traps back no. here. No, it's, it's the trapezoid. No, trapeze, mm. no, trapezeus, trapezus. God, we're stupid. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 like you said, he did the things that he needed to do this offseason. Are they going to work? Obviously, only time will tell. It, it, he's, he's not getting younger, like to your point, of course. Age is still going to be 
as big a factor as any to if he stays healthy. That's the biggest factor for him, just because yeah. he, he's but, but he's his, just the different. muscular. He's different, man. His the, muscular the way that he swings physique was not doing him any favors as his age was getting older, as far as being a baseball player. So if this can help ten percent, twenty percent, awesome. Yeah, and I and I think the beginning of the season, you know, as he's getting in baseball shape with this new, uh, newfound, uh, you know, carved out body, like his legs, man, that was the one thing that I noticed the most. His leg, he looks like didn't didn't do well, one we don't know. one didn't do one day of legs skipped, uh, in the skipped leg days all. The, well, we don't know what his legs normally look like because he always had long pants on, so he could have always had skinny calves. I guess, I guess he's got like sprinter calves. He does. Uh, he looks like he. You know what he does? It looks like he did a lot of running this off. A lot of long distance running this off season. Sprinting? The, no, it looks like sprinting. Because the the long form, the you get that high calf muscle when you have that like when you get twitchy and you can and you can uh, run fast straight lines. It looks like he did a lot of like um, explosive cardio. So it's like you know just good. getting. Yeah, that's a good thing. I think that's that's a, a good thing for his right. body. He needs. You to know do what that. that's good for? running first to third going and shagging a fly ball in the outfield because boone talking about still playing maybe a day or two in the outfield per week uh for stanton and yeah if that's going to be the thing that he was when you know when we talked to andy martino a couple weeks ago who by the way he said stanton is his comeback player of the year this year and i mocked andy when he said that because i was like why like what 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 are you seeing and maybe he knew he was in best baseball shape of his life it's also not that it's also it's also just like a a pretty easy play because it looks great if you're that guy like you pick the guy with the most talent that had the worst season yes true (laughs) but but, uh yeah but like i i wouldn't have picked that like who who do you think has a better chance at comeback player of the year carlos radon or john carlos stanton this year yeah they're both i don't know i don't know Carlos Rodon at this point. You know what I mean? Like, so what does bounce back mean? I, I've seen what Stanton can do. Well, we've never seen what Rodon can do. Rodon, you know, we got a comment. Um, I saw we were saying, what is it? Rodon? But I've, but I've heard, I, I've, I've heard, I've heard it multiple, multiple things with consistency. So Carlos R. I thought it was Rodon. Rodon. We've seen what he could do with uh, the Giants. So we know the pitcher he can be. We haven't seen it with the Yankees yet. Yeah, cool. That's a huge ballpark. Let's just see what he can do here. I just need to see what he can do before. I'm not even giving him comeback player because there's no that would that would mean that would be like almost saying like last year like oh, it's okay you you made a comeback from last year. Like, no, 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 no. Like that that's kind of like a bullshit thing. Oh, you in my opinion, on, on be... year number one, on year number one, like you don't deserve to be in a conversation for comeback player of the year. Like that's bullshit. You just had a really shitty season. You need a rebound. Well, he, he like, was injured for most of it. Fine, but because he was being Tommy Tough Guy coming out of the <laughs> gate, think, not on. understanding his body. Do you think comeback player is only back from injury, not back from poor performance? Yeah, poor performance from comeback player of the year. I think there's a, a little bit of both, but you can't just have one bad year in the new laundry after signing a massive contract and then get deemed as a comeback player of the year. That's kind of a bullshit award for a guy like him. In my opinion, well, let's be clear. It's a bullshit award for anybody. It's a, it's an award for triumph for like you know doing doing like battling back. This is just him. Sure, I not, guess a not, lot of times they give it to guys sucking. 
like battling back from severe illness or something like that. Like, oh, he he had to go through chemo. He had he had cancer. I mean, that's pretty ex- that's of pretty course. drastic. But yeah, okay, but whatever. He overcame cancer. Or he overcame maybe Tommy John surgery or something like that. Like something catastrophic, injury wise or illness wise. Then they come back. Yeah, Radon, like you said, back injuries. You know, various problems throughout the season, and then he got on the field and stunk. Ticky tack, so, ticky tack, ticky tack. That's like that's more of like you were in bad shape. So you don't well, get speaking you don't of get shape, you don't get put in this category. Radon also category for best shape of his life. Although I think it's just no mustache. <laughs> mustache uh, took off twenty pounds. Apparently, his body, his physique doesn't look that different to me. The one picture that uh, I saw going around is him signing a baseball out of fence for fans, and his his left arm looks like Roger Federer's right arm. Okay, it yeah. is massive. It's it's like it's it's like the the giant Hulk hand arm. We can't really see his right arm, but his left arm, all I know, huge. Yeah, well, and that makes a lot of sense considering uh, what he does for a living. But um, again, the, the, he shed some baby weight. You know, these guys are all sweating in Florida even before spring training. A lot of them are training in Florida and and getting uh, getting in that getting in that good shape, getting rid of all that water weight that they had from the beginning of the off season. So. Um, look, man, he just needs to do it. Comeback player of the year or not, whether he's eligible for that award or not, he just needs to do it. He said he is moving through his delivery uh, much better. I'm moving better, moving the way I usually move. I think last year I was moving a little wonky down the mound. I was trying to find it the whole year and just couldn't find it. This year I made that a main concern in the offseason to figure out my move and what I was, <laughs> what I was moving down the mound. He said the word "move" and "moving" quite a bit in that th- three-line quote. But his fastball so far this spring has been sitting in the eighty-eight to ninety-one mile per hour range for his bullpen sessions. This time last year, it was in the eighty-five to eighty-eight mile an hour range, and in a live batting pra- practice session, he was actually throwing much harder. Topped out at ninety-seven miles an hour. Again. Let's relax. Let's relax on, on showing everybody that you can throw hard. This is exactly what happened last year. He, he peaked out at a couple times and we're like, oh, he's no, – I remember talking about this very, very clearly. But do you he remember last year? Hard. But last year he had like, – like the whole time leading up to his first start, he was – his velocity was not where it needed to be. Then he gets out there on the mound in, in inning one of game one. He's like, all right, now I need to prove prove my contract here. In inning one of spring training grapefruit league and try and throw it 95, 98 miles an hour. Yeah, well, now he's doing it in batting practice. He's just no, bumping but the schedule maybe, up. Maybe he's feeling good. Maybe this is just him feeling good, feeling loose, and it's just coming out naturally. I hope so. It's a big variance from uh, top top mile per hour and average mile per hour when you're looking at the- But uh, average the, in a bullpen session, like I don't think bullpen sessions, you're ever going 100%. No, this, I don't want any of them going this early. It's, it's February 20th. Like, let's just chill out. Yeah, that's all. That's, I just want him to know his body and to not try too hard. I don't think that's a big ask. I really don't. I don't think it's a big ask. You got rid of the mustache. That's step one. Step no, it, it somehow crawled its way to Glaber Torres' upper lip. That's fine. Glaber can have the mustache. He's been on the Yankees long enough where no. he's able to just grow a mustache. Can he, had I... a great, he, had a, he had a very good year last year. And he's, again, he's a dad. So you know, the mustache makes a lot more sense for him in, in, this, in this position. I, I have no problem with Glaber Torres' mustache. It's so, not even a broom either. It's just it's just a regular mustache. Yeah, that almost makes it worse. 
So uh, the mustache thing with the Yankees is weird because obviously they have the facial hair policy. So no one can grow a beard, but for whatever reason, you can still grow a mustache. You can grow sideburns too, because this stupid rule by Steinbrenner was made in the seventies when mustaches and sideburns were a thing. And now here we are in the year 2024 and it hasn't freaking changed. Is it, it's, it's like the Thurman Munson rule. That's almost what it is. Yes. I did a history episode about this way back in, during COVID. Uh, go back and, and search that facial hair policy. I actually, that was one of my favorite ones I did because I didn't know anything about this like basically it was steinbrenner was just like these guys look like a-holes we gotta clean this stuff up uh but like it's now 2024 and that policy has not changed that's a whole other topic for another day i feel like with the mustache i don't mind the mustache if you're gonna do it as like a team thing do you remember a couple years ago when the someone's got to start that though someone's got to start that yeah but it's in uh... season like Oh, we're on a we're on an eleven game win streak. Oh, and and Jambi started growing a, a jet black mustache, so now we're all going to grow a, a mustache. Or I think it was twenty Brendan Ryan. I think fifteen twenty fifteen Brendan Ryan, and then and then like the last guy to grow a mustache was Jacoby Ellsbury because clearly he just couldn't grow a mustache and it took him like three weeks to get like a little pencil thin mustache. And he looked like an a hole, but like that that kind of stuff was fun when you do it as like a yeah we all know we look dumb, but we're doing this as a team. No, I guess that flies in the face because Nestor Cortez has always had a mustache yeah. with the Yankees. And looks great. But like I, I think Austin, Nestor Cortez Austin Wells, Austin Wells has a strong mustache. I think him. Nestor Cortez was born with a mustache. It's just how he's supposed to look. You're like, just not used to seeing Glaber with a mustache, and that's what's messing with you. Yeah. You don't like change. Um I don't mind change. You don't mind change in this regard. You don't mind change in the aesthetic of what someone looks like. I think unless, they, unless they get skinny. When they're when they're too when they're too big, yeah. I think Labor Torres can grow a mustache as part of uh, the team bonding exercise. Not, I'm just showing up to my final year with the Yankees potentially with a mustache. Like he hasn't done enough to just. Oh, that's bullshit. Do he's a done mustache. plenty. Of, he's done plenty for the mustache. The mustache is uh, is good. If he feels good with, I just want him to feel good. If he thinks he looks good, then great. Feel good, look good, play good. That's it. That's all I need. So we've got three mustachios right now, right? we got Glaber, Nestor, and Wells. Those are the, th- the mustache boys. Yeah. Stan's Must- had a mustache, mustache in the man. past too. Stan's had like a little, a little, a little thing like going on here. Stan wouldn't surprise just, me. Stan shaves every third day and that's what happens. And skinny sh- Stanton, I think could, could do the mustache. It like makes more sense to me. I love st- skinny Stan. <laughs> I know <laughs> so, you can tell. I can tell you're very excited for it. I'm very excited for skinny Stan. Like it's all, again, when he pulls up lame with a quad uh, on March uh, March nineteenth, um, whatever, fine, doesn't matter. Skinny, skinny or muscular, but right now I'm loving it. It's good. Let's see it. Let's see it in uh, in action. Let's see those hips clear the zone much quickly uh, and and uh, and make good contact. That's what I want to see from this guy. Making uh, hold on. I mean, making shit. contact. Making How many contact. times did we? joke and scream but not really joking about how this guy just needs to be more flexible like instead of bench pressing instagram models how about you do some yoga do some hot yoga get that get those quads and those hamstrings nice and loose for the baseball season and like maybe he maybe this offseason he actually you're getting a little too excited let's relax on let's relax on the excitement i need to see him run first to second base and if he can do that without slowing down or going at you know three miles per hour and and saying that that's the top speed that we're going to get no matter what fine if he can tag up uh from you know with a, a long fly ball on the warning track from third base and score which everybody in the major league should be able to do then then you know except masahiro tanaka 
I will get I will get to a place where where um, I'm uh, I'm excited for his mobility. But I got to see it. I got to see it. I got to see him move. I want to see him touch his toes. <laughs> because you think he can? You think he can I, touch his toes? I hope so. He he should be able to touch his toes. That's can a big deal. Can you touch your toes? Yeah, I can. I didn't for a long. Maybe not today, but but <laughs> within the last six to eight months, I've been able within to touch my toes. Within the last ten years, you've touched your toes. <laughs> <laughs> but he, um, you know that 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 hip flexibility, that hip mobility, to me is a big thing. And that that like weight can help that can take strain off of it. But he's still got to have the mobility in there. So let's see. Let's see where he is. He, uh, getting back to the Stanton thing, he also said that the comments that Cashman made this offseason about how injuries are a part of Stanton's game are behind him. So when I read that comment, I was like, wait, does he say that the injuries that are part of his game are behind him? No. Or the comments of yes. the injury? He's put the comments behind him. Behind him. Yeah. He's not going to, he, okay, let's, because I read that, because I jumped the gun a little bit too I much and say injuries are behind him. I read that quickly. And I was like, oh, Stanton getting cocky with his skinny ass, saying that injuries are now behind him. Like the 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 habitual injury bug that's biting him now behind him. But no, it's just the comments. Like he cool. like he probably needed to buy all new t-shirts. <laughs> You're really stuck on this. Because he's like, buying, now he's buying the cotton poly blend because it it's a little bit more form fitting. So it's 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 tight around the he arm. He was probably pre-weight cut was probably in like an XL, right? Probably Maybe he's like, just wearing the same shirts, but now they actually fit him. No, but he was in skin tight XLs where like That's the biceps were basically ripping the seams apart. And like, you know how the shirts where like your chest is just too big. So it's just stretched. Yeah. Now maybe he's in XLs and they're just fitting nice like a glove. Same shirt just fits him right now. A little bit, a little bit more, uh, you know, <laughs> looser fit. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Quick tangent. Uh, my buddy Chris, who I know sometimes listens to this podcast, in college, uh, like one summer, just like lost a ton of weight, like came in skinny skinny chris we called them mm -hmm. and he bought a, what he called baby tees so he bought like a bunch of like abercrombie mediums and they were just like because he's a big guy he's probably six one but like barely fit him but like he looked okay because he was like that skinny he immediately ballooned up again like first semester back he couldn't wear any of his t-shirts he had to get all new t-shirts it's called beer <laughs> it's called beer and dining hall food yeah yeah college college will get you five trips a day to the all-you-can-eat dining hall all right juan soto arrived at yankees camp said that the team has everything we need alluding to winning a championship 
And he also said that Robinson Cano has been a present day mentor to him and somebody that he looked up to as a kid. Kind of insane that Juan Soto looked up to Robinson Cano as a kid, considering Robinson Cano played very, very recently. But then you remember Juan Soto is 24 years old. Yeah, it's crazy when you think about how young he is. Because the body of work is, is how accomplished a, he is for this yeah. point in his twenties. He should be he should be twenty eight, like season right. twenty eight. Like it feels like he's in season, like in his prime season twenty eight. But he's actually just just getting started. He hasn't with, entered with his, his baseball prime yet. It's wild. It really is wild. And look, if you're looking at a baseball player to be a a guy who's a good sure. role model, and as far as a, a, a on the offensive side of things and defensive side of things, Robbie Cano is a good one. Robbie Cano, the baseball Robbie, player, the damn very, good baseball very good. Player. When he was when he was you know playing baseball at a at a at a high level, he was he was the the best, if not top top two, top three second baseman in the league. No, he was um, the best second baseman in the league for a Chase Utley. Chase Utley was like like they they no Chase over. Utley was, was pre so Cano's prime, if we want to call his prime, was probably like 2010. To call it 2014, whatever. When, when was Utley? Utley was crossed uh, over. 07 to, 0, to 10. Well, Utley was, you know, the late 2000s and Cano was early 2010s when he was the, when he was at his prime. Like yeah. the last four years of Robinson Cano as a Yankee were probably his his best years. Yeah, where he, he was, was a, a, he's a, a phenomenal 20 hitter, hit 25 plus home runs. So uh, pure. He was smooth as hell at second base. Honestly, one of the reasons Derek Jeter lasted so long at shortstop is because Robinson Cano covered a lot of the middle of the field. Yeah, I mean, the amount of times he would cross over second base and make that 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 little flip across yeah. his body was uh, was crazy. Yeah, no, he was. So as far as role models, um, I don't mind that one bit. I think Robbie Cano, you know, is a is it was a damn good baseball player. So that's a that's a that's a good one. Just. You, just, can't, you can't mix you can't mix in the steroid thing because that's just part just, of let's let's not let's just <laughs> let's just stop there. Him as a baseball player as a Yankee, perfect. I, I Robinson, I, I was devastated when Cano left the Yankees. I was more yeah. de- I was not I was mad the Yankees didn't pony up for him. Like obviously in hindsight that's fine, but because at that point it was just like wait the Yankees didn't sign that just hadn't happened before. Like, it just hadn't happened in in, in our lifetime. Yeah, losing that guy in at, at that had, time of his at that time of his career. Who was a Yankee, a homegrown Yankee? Like they yeah. missed out on free agents, like famously Cliff Lee twice. They they couldn't get, but like when it was your homegrown guy and he was hitting free agency, there was not a doubt in my mind he was coming back. And then he wasn't there, and we're going into spring training with Jacoby Ellsbury and Brian McCann and and Carlos Beltran. I'm like, what? What happened? Yeah, yeah. No, it's um that was a that was a weird time. That was a weird time. Andy Pettit leaving was the other weird time. That's right. Yeah, Pettit. Yeah, I guess Pettit, it was Pettit and then Cano. Like, those are the two big Pettit ones. leaving for Houston was like, what is happening here? Um, that was a that was just a strange time. But you know what happened then? He went home. Like, there was a he lot of went, things where- Clemens signed in Houston. It, yeah. Pettit, well, I think Pettit signed in Houston before Clemens. The writing was on the wall. Like, there was I a lot of we, talk about that. We all knew that that was going to happen almost. But I think a lot of people confuse that uh, Clemens- signed in Houston and then Pettit was like I'm following Clemens when it was in fact I'm sure he knew Cle- I'm sure yeah. Pettit knew Clemens wanted but like technically Pettit signed first and then Clemens came back but what happened that offseason was the Yankees got A-Rod so everyone was like 
oh, A-Rod, like shiny new object, the best player in baseball, Alex Rodriguez. Like, who cares what else happened? Yeah, well, I cared. I didn't like losing Andy Pettit. He was my I mean, guy for a while. Yankees f that one up. Yeah, that, that was that was like Cashman and, and the Yankees front office needs to be hand up on that one because Pettit wanted to come back to the Yankees and he ended up signing for a million dollars less in Houston because the Yankees dicked around with his offer. Yeah. Yeah. And then you know what doesn't happen probably in 2004 <laughs> if uh, if 100%. Andy Pettit starting one of those final three games. Yeah, the the clo- the the stopper, like the stopper, he was the guy that that put the put an end to any. It was a kibosh. instead of uh, instead of John Lieber starting Game Six, you got Andy Pettit on the mound in Game Six, or instead of Kevin Brown starting Game Seven, you got Andy Pettit starting Game Seven. Maybe the Red Sox don't win a championship ever. <laughs> uh, so Blake Snell, what the hell is going on with him? Rumors popped back up about the Yankees' offer to Snell, although from. Everything we can tell, this is not a new offer. This is the original offer they made a few weeks ago, still on the table, apparently. But like, we don't even for sure know what that offer is. It was reported at the time, five to six years, about 25 to 30 million AAV um, in that range. Cashman said on Thursday, so this was last week, I don't have blocked on my call sheet for any agents. If they want to call, they certainly have the avenue to do so. I'm always open-minded to listen to what's available as well as continue our dialogues with opposing general managers, but we do like what we have here, but it's a long season. We're certainly not going to assume that what we have now is going to be enough. That's why the job is always to be open. Who just talks in a sentence like, if they want to call, they certainly have the avenue to do so. It's it's just Cashman speak around uh, Cashman that, he's, speak. that he's having that he's having conversations that that it's you know that there's nothing against Boris it, because a lot of this is just like alluding underneath it the fact that it's Boris and Boris is different to to everybody looking at what no happened. general manager mentions the name Scott Boris <laughs> but <laughs> because we're going to get to an article that Ken Rosenthal wrote in the wrote in the Athletic the, but there's, there's a there's there's an underlying GMs quoted not one a, of them says the word Boris. There's an underlying sentiment yes. about Scott Boris and Scott Boris clients, and and they 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 know what the deal is. So the whole Snell thing is really interesting at this point. And yes, there's there's so many different reports. <laughs> like it's very unclear of what's happening. So for us to speculate what exactly is happening is just a little unreasonable. But what it looks like is that either the original contract they're they're just working through it. I have a feeling that's what's kind of happening. Like, hey, this was lying in the sand. Maybe there's an actual like official offer that's been put out. I don't know. But either way, it seems like there is a negotiation happening. And how many other teams are involved? Who knows? Because we all know Scott Boris loves the the surprise mystery team. team. Oh, there will be whoever is about to sign Blake Snell. Mystery team will pop up at the last minute who just offered one year more, surprisingly. Yeah. So, you know, this is all part of the game. Um, and and I know there's there's precedent. There's even more precedent for for guys signing late um, than than what we've we've kind of addressed because we we called out some of them, but there's there's actually a pretty decent precedent for guys signing these you know later into uh, into the into the spring and, yeah. and really well, good. after I'll, guys after guys report. Ilya, can you did John Heyman report anything on the Blake Snell stuff? Because John Heyman is like a Scott Boris mouthpiece, and so if John Heyman is reporting anything on a Boris client, you can usually basically say this is what scott boris is saying is like 
that's how he gets stuff out is through John Heyman. So I'll be curious about that. If I'm Scott Boris, I'm mixing my guys up a little bit too. After Heyman, you know, has has come out with some, yeah, some maybe. things that are just not, you know, pretty inaccurate. Uh, I would I would mix my guys up if I were him. Cashman also said, we're not pencils down by any means. If there's ways to improve the club, we can be open-minded to that. And he said, it's obviously pitching. Um, it's always pitching. So the, the biggest, the biggest tell is the shit eating grin yeah, on, on Aaron judge's face when they're talking about, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I think there is another move coming. He just and then he's got that the smirk. It's just like, he's got that. Yeah. That shit eating little, like half, half, because clearly he's privy to a lot more conversations today than he was in, in previous years. And if he's privy or he's, you know, the mouthpiece and going out on, on recruiting, uh, you know, phone calls and texts and things like that, which I'm, I promise you he is. Um, he knows information. He just doesn't have the poker face that, no. that some people do, which I think is hilarious. But uh, <laughs> because yeah, you're reading said, it, he has his body the poker language, words. He has the poker words. He doesn't he does. say anything, yeah. but his face speaks a thousand words. His face is, is, is tough to hide. It absolutely is. And, and that shit eating grin leads me to believe that there are deep conversations happening. And, you know, here's the, here's the rub. It doesn't have to be Blake Snell. Maybe it's a trade. Could be a trade. Right. Could be someone else. Could be, you know, it could be them talking to Cleveland. And it's could not for a depth piece. You don't have that shit eating grin for a depth piece. No, you do not. You have it for, and everybody's saying this, you know, in a, in a, like that there, there might be something else. Like there, everybody's confident in saying that there might be something else. To me, like there's something else. There's something else here. So Clark Schmidt, you know, get your tools ready for the bullpen because that's probably going to happen. <laughs> Clark which, Schmidt. which, which look, Hey. If they do this, this is exactly what I said. This is exactly what I wanted them to do. This is exactly there's there's honestly as a fan, yes. if they go out and do this and Clark Schmidt becomes a guy that you have flexibility with, bullpen actual starter, depth, not you guys have, who you're you like have major league depth now yes. in the starting rotation and the Yankees are putting themselves in a position to not only win with top level talent, health-wise, all that we're, we're seeing with this, but they've also created uh contingency plans that are not Four A guys that are not four exactly. A guys and hinge guys. This is the year you have to do this. I know we say windows and all those things with bigger contracts, but there are too many expiring contracts this year. And I know the word expiring contracts isn't really used with baseball all that often, but it is what it is. You gotta you gotta go for it this year with the amount of of guys that you have on one year deals. You do. I think the 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 depth thing gets. Um, misconstrued where it's like, oh, the Yankees have so much depth. Look at their minor league system of, of pitchers they could call up. And it's like, that's great for when you've got a doubleheader and you need to call someone up a, a, as the as the spot starter. Or that's great if someone needs to fill in because you've got you know no off days on a road trip or something like that. That's not great depth when a pitcher goes down with an injury in May, right? Like that's not what we're talking about. Like maybe one of those pitchers could turn into something but to bank on that as your depth <clears throat> is too risky. Totally agree. And this is just not the year to 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 fuck, to fuck around and find out. This is just yeah. not the year. It's not the year to do that. And so the athletic article that I was pulling from those Cashman quotes also went on to talk about the Yankees estimated payroll right now is 307 million, which is above the 297 million top tax threshold, which means that every dollar spent above 297 is taxed at 110%. And it used the example of Snell, say Snell signed a one-year $40 million contract because there's also been some talk that maybe Snell would take a, a one-year deal. The Yankees would pay 
$44 million in luxury tax penalty on that $40 million, meaning that one-year deal is an $84 million cost for the Yankees. Snell gets 40. The Yankees are paying $84 million in order to have Blake Snell pitched for them for one year in that scenario. That seems extremely unrealistic to happen, a short-term deal. There's still probably, like we were talking about before the pod, can you structure a five, a six, or maybe even a seven-year deal? Maybe there's some deferred money like we saw the Dodgers do, but you just got to spread out that money over time so that that penalty in this year, you're still going to be paying a lot, but it's less. And then next year with all the money coming off the books, you could still have room to sign, re-sign um, uh, Juan Soto and, and stay within. Like You're not going to be able to re-sign everybody, obviously, but you're going to be able to assign your most important pieces next offseason. Yeah, uh, well, I, I think you look at – so yes, the, the one-year deal in this scenario because of the luxury tax does make it seem very unlikely for something like that. That said, like a guy coming off a Cy Young shouldn't be in a position to sign a one-year deal either. That's kind of bonkers. Why are they talking about it though? Why are they no, talking I know, about the pillow contracts, which if that's the term that now um, is getting thrown around, pillow contracts. Is that a Boris? Is that a Boris? Uh, I, I saw it in the glossary? Rosenthal article. So uh, maybe the pillow contract is is Boris's new trademark. Yeah. Well, the the um, it just doesn't make a lot of sense in this in this regard because of, of that. And and maybe it's you know if he is going after that, it's not with the Yankees uh, because of because of that penalty. So there's 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 multiple things. But I would it is it is that. it is bonkers. It is bonkers to. To think about a guy winning a Cy Young and then having this hard of a time signing with a team. February twenty first, really he's still out there. The Boris Four, that was the the Rosenthal article. The Boris Four, Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, Cody Bellinger, Matt Chapman, all still unsigned. There was two general managers. The um, uh, actually three general managers: Rangers, Blue Jays, and Giants. I don't think he was the GM. I think it was like president of baseball ops. All quoted by name in this article, saying. Yeah, a lot of a lot of big guys still out there. It would be surprising if you saw any of them sign this late in the spring. Any additions like that would have to come with subtractions. Never mentioning any of those players by name, never mentioning Scott Boris's name because then the players association could go after them for collusion. Um and Rosenthal didn't outright say like, "Oh, this is collusion." But he kind of alluded to like there seems to be an underlying message here. To Scott Boris clients and to Scott Boris himself. We're not dealing with your bullshit. Yeah, like it is now February 21st and four of the biggest free agents going into this offseason, not the biggest, obviously, but four of the top eight biggest free agents, right? Yeah. Unsigned. Yeah. Spring training has begun. It, it's not unprecedented. 2018, J.D. Martinez and you Darvish signed February 19th. Jake Arrieta and Alex Cobb went unsigned until mid-March. All of them, Scott Boris guys. Um, the Players Association that year, remember, opened up that that um, alternate spot. Yeah. Uh, spring, spring training camp. Training. Bryce Harper, Manny Machano went unsigned until late February in, in the 2019 offseason. Um, so it was now, around now, like late February, that those two, those were those were the biggest guys the too. biggest those, guys those were those were complex contracts as well like this is a different scenario and and honestly if i'm blake snell i'm not happy with what's happening here at all i'm not happy with the the fact that yeah. i just want to Cy young and it's february 21st and i don't have a team that's crazy that is crazy that's 
has that ever has that ever happened? No, I, I would not. I would imagine that that's never happened. A guy coming off of a Cy Young, um, not not in camp when camp starts. That's that's kind of a crazy scenario, especially going into a free agent year. But you know, I mean, I'm sure Boris. I'm sure the thought was for Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery that Yamamoto's going to sign, and then you guys are going to sign shortly after that. Because the dominoes are going to fall. And once the teams that Yamamoto didn't get Yamamoto, they're going to have to pivot to us. And we're going to be there. And it's yeah. a month. When did Yamamoto sign? Early early January, right? It was like the first week or so in January, I think. It was around the new year. Yeah. And here we are, a week into spring training. Pitchers and catchers reported last week. And these pitchers have not had a new team yet so they're gonna have to get to the point where they're gonna have to go to a a, a spring training camp and work out because if you're gonna be ready for for an opening day a, a, as a starting pitcher you need to start you need to have started already i mean they're they're definitely starting it's not like they have to go to a physical camp where uh where major league baseball is putting on like the, in today's world no, they, but if they it's can, march they 10th, do that if it's march 10th and you're not signed you're gonna have to you're gonna have to get some you can't just keep throwing in your backyard no, yeah, you're you're throwing. They can throw against high school kids, college kids. They can start going to those you know different places so they can get some live BP. I don't think it really matters where where they're doing it as much. But I, honestly, I, I think in the next, I would be very surprised by March first if if the, these guys, if Montgomery and Snell um, and probably Chapman too, the third base, like wouldn't be surprised if they were. Um, if they were signed, I, I would, Bellinger? I would be surprised. And Bellinger, I'm sorry. Cause Bellinger with the Cubs feels like it's a, it's a, it's just waiting to happen. Semantics is essentially. And I know the giants are also in a conversation with him as well, but it, it, everything is pointing to the Cubs and them just getting to a place where, you know, he's, he's okay with it. So I really would be very surprised if these guys are not signed in the next nine days uh, or, or eight days, I guess, cause there's a short, short month of February, but by March but 1st, I expect them to be there. Yeah. So getting back to that John Heyman thing, he wrote an article a couple of days ago, Yankees still can't be taken seriously as World Series contender. And then the article talked about how they still need to be in on Montgomery or Snell. Um, <clears throat> so also that that Rosenthal article talked about how the fact that all of these players declined the qualifying offer meant there's draft pick penalties associated with all these free agents. And that is also a factor in teams not going after them. And to that, I say, this system is broken. This is not working. This is not working as it's intended to. If you're going to keep that draft pick penalty to to basically reward the teams that are losing the free agent, fine. But you have to give the teams signing the players some sort of window to sign them where the penalties are not as harsh. Like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, you have a four week period, mid mid December to mid January, where if you sign in this window. Instead of giving up two draft picks for these players, you only have to give up one draft pick for these players. You have to incentivize both the player, the the team losing the player, and the player and the team signing the player. Or else here, because baseball doesn't want four of its best players unsigned in spring training. That's not a good look. Yeah, so you're 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 basically trying to eliminate the automatic qualifying offer that's given to these guys, knowing that they're going to turn it down for the draft pick competition. Cause that's really at the end of the day, like well, that's kinda, not eliminating. If you eliminate that, then you're taking out draft pick compensation. You're just taking out draft pick compensation altogether. No, I mean, I mean not, not making it an automatic 
not making it an automatic thing because I feel like now teams understand that they're putting this out there and it's not really risky. Exactly. It's, it's, it's not a, risky at all. So there, there needs well, to be a little bit because of a, worst case scenario. What is worst case scenario? You get the player back for one year. It's like, yeah. that's not that bad. No, I know, but it's, it doesn't happen. It does like, there's our very rare occasions where very it, rare. it does happen. And so the, like, that's where it has to start. Almost. You have to, you have to start right there with that part of the the process because that's, that is like everybody's going to throw out the qualifying offer, knowing that it's yep. going to get turned down, so that they get it in return. Yep. That's that's so I, I don't know. Maybe the qualifying offer has to to get to be higher. You know, make it's make already it higher an so average that, of like the top. Isn't like an average of the top three or top five? Like it's not cheap. Like the qualifying offer, you're paying twenty plus million dollars. Yeah, but but the guys that are turning it down are, are understandably. Know that they what they can get on free agent in the, there's in actually the no market. draft pick for Montgomery. I just remembered because because he, oh, got, he traded. got traded, but the other three have draft pick compensation. Yeah, yeah. So, so I just think that like I think it's a bad look for Major League Baseball that free agency is so slow, and like we had the frenzy around the Dodgers signing Otani and, and Yamamoto, but other than that, free agency has been extremely slow and. And there's no buzz to it. Like the other sports, NBA free agency, NFL free agency. It's like a it's like a frenzy. The, it starts and then 48 hours, everyone's gone and off the table. And there's 7,000 reports going around, and it's exciting. Like I would like. It's, to exci- see- it's exciting for 48 hours, but it does lose the uh, the longevity of the the story. You want to be talking about uh, like it's 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 February 21st. We're still talking about four of the best free agents available. Like, come on. I know, I, you know, I don't, I don't need it to be as as uh, tight as you're talking about because it's, I think the NBA, like everybody already knows said, where they're four going. Four week period, give a four week signing yeah. window for baseball. It goes back to the the proposal that we had about you know incentivizing that the the cutoff, having a cutoff essentially for it, and I think that's a in the beginning of January, having having or the middle of January, I forget when we had said it, but something something along those lines. After the new year, uh, you have a deadline, and then there's imposed penalties or or what. You know, however, however it goes. How about this? That, there's a system that can be made that, to make it shorter. I don't think it needs to be as short as other other like basketball because it's it's it is more complex. Well, there, there is a, no, ba- a luxury not, tax, and there's and there's a, a larger roster. There's 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 implications. Basketball for and football is doesn't have a short signing window. Everything just happens short. Everything happens quickly because there's a short amount of there, the, well, especially for for basketball because there's a limited amount of roster spots and it's yeah. so top heavy with talent. Yeah. How about this? The final day to sign a free agent uh, in baseball, the signing period where you you get some benefits, is, is also the last day you can wish someone a happy New Year. That's fine with me. I think that's a great. I think it, it coincides. Coincides. Yeah, January fifteenth. No, it it varies year <laughs> to year depending on when the New Year is. Come on, we've been over this. <laughs> uh, Roster news, couple roster items. Lou Trevino signed a one-year deal with the club for 2025, a million and a half guaranteed with a five and a half million dollar club option for for 2025. Um, Judge, uh, we already talked about, he spoke to the media, could not get the shit eating grin off of his face when he talked about if there's another move coming. And Baltimore ended up acquiring Matt Crook from the Yankees for cash considerations. Crook was a left-handed triple-A depth piece i know he was in spring training with the yankees last year baltimore's had some injuries already this this year to their pitching staff so uh, big injuries some, big injuries yeah. when you have uh bradish and means bradish means and gunner henderson is going to miss some time yeah but uh, focusing on their pitching side so the corbin burns trade to them we were all like oh shit yeah. like that's <laughs> a big that's a big deal 
when you see what injury concerns they have with Means and, and Bradash, who were two of the uh, uh, two of the two of the best, they were they were among the best star, uh, starting pitchers uh, in the American League down the stretch. Like you see some of these guys that are that are right there with them, and then you add a Burns to it. That's a that's a huge deal. The fact that these guys are banged up, and I don't know you know how long they're going to be out, but there's definitely more question marks when you see the injuries in their starting pitch. But all, all those guys are healthy. They have a formidable, like a very, very good uh, starting rotation at this point with Corbin Burns leading the charge. So on a one-year deal, right? He's on a one-year deal. So that's Well, a, it's the last year of his arbitration. Essentially a one-year deal though. The that's a that's a big that's a big thing. So we'll see how they how they uh, how they shape up, but it does change the outlook, I think, for what they are. And now you're you're really looking at, you know, when are those guys able to come back? Which you know, if they're if they're fully reloaded um, by midseason, then you know that's I think totally fine for them because they have probably the the offensive talent as well to to um, you know to withstand some of that. And then obviously adding Burns is a is a is a big deal for the for leading the rotation. But yeah, the Yankees going over the top with one more pitcher, I think at this point is is a necessity. All right, we're going to check in with Max Goodman coming up. But first, finding good meat in the grocery store can be tricky and unreliable. Maybe you don't know of a good butcher in town. Do butchers even exist anymore, Scott? I feel like that's something from the 1960s. No, they do. They do. In my last house down the street, there was a, this place called uh, the Meat Market. And the Meat Market was actually two guys. <laughs> Very <yeah>. direct. <laughs> two guys from the Bronx that opened up a shop. Uh, and and uh, In Virginia lo- Beach? In Virginia Beach, and I loved going in there because I felt like I felt like I was going home a little bit every time I would go in. There. The sandwiches, shredded lettuce sandwiches, packed to the brim, like oh, really so it was good. like a deli meat like butcher it, type thing. But yeah. they had but they had really really good cuts of yeah. of meat. They would do some pre made stuff, yeah. So well, no, but also, there are not very many of them around. You know what also has good cuts? Good Chop. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. All products are vacuum sealed and frozen at peak freshness so you can stock up your freezer and cook when you want. You choose from over 75 high quality cuts. We're talking 100% grass-fed ribeyes, pork tenderloin, chicken, thick cut bacon, seafood, and more. Uh, They offer wild-caught seafood, salmon, Pacific cod, scallops, shrimp, I made the thick cut bacon the weekend that my my family was in town for Harrison's birthday. Literally everybody at the table said this is the best bacon they've ever had. And it was. It just tasted better than anything you could ever find in the store. Good Chop sources its meats and seafoods exclusively from American farms and fisheries. So you are supporting local family farms and independent ranchers when you use this product. The best part is Good Chop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. That is a great price for quality meats and fish with no antibiotics or added hormones ever. Go to goodchop.com slash bronx120 and use code bronx120 to get $120 off your first four boxes. It's $120 off your first four boxes. So that's a lot. That's a lot of money off. You might as well just try this. Goodchop.com slash bronx120. Code Bronx120 at goodchop.com slash Bronx120. Thank you very much. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. 
Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's talk to Max. Okay, checking in on the pod is Max Goodman of NJ.com. He'll be with us every week during spring training and will soon be down in Tampa, boots on the ground in, in about a week or so. How are you doing, Max? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Uh, as we were just talking, we we can we can get this off the top. I'm very excited about best shape of his life, baseball shape of his life, skinny Stanton. And I know you wanted to talk about it too. So uh, what are your thoughts there? Well, first off, the the first time that he stepped on the field in Tampa, as you just mentioned, I'm not down there just yet, but the pictures of him and the videos, he he does look yep. very much different. Like I, I wasn't necessarily expecting to see that much of a change. Right. But he does look leaner, so so you know, check for that, right? Because that was his mission to to get leaner and lighter this off season. Um, the one video of the ball that he hit really hard in live BP, it's hard from that angle to see just how much his swing or his stance or his approach or anything like that has changed. So I'm looking forward to when games start to get the you know center field angle to see if we can start to pick up on on different things with him because it does seem like he has made changes. Um, and that that's going to be important for him, right? Cause, uh, you have to totally reevaluate after the season that he had. Um, it's not just going to be, Oh, losing weight and sticking with the same approach and the same swing because he has such an unorthodox, um, swing and approach when he's up there. So, uh, definitely looking forward to seeing that because if, if the Yankees get a better Stanton, it's hard to really quantify how much that would mean, to this team huge because yeah i mean if he can stay healthy i'm not saying he's going to win an mvp right like this isn't 2017 stanton but if he can be a consistent producer and drive runs in in the middle of the lineup i mean that just opens up so many doors for the offense as a whole but he's got to stay on the field and as much as you know he looked good in his first day of of live bp we have many months ahead of us where he's got to prove that he can you know run the bases and 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 stay out there of course, um, uh, of course, it's it's February twenty first. Long way to go. I think to your point about the lineup, if it's one of or not one of, I think at least two of DJ Stanton Rizzo uh, need to rebound in order for this lineup to truly be a force this season. It's going to be tough to be a consistent lineup with just Judge and Soto in the middle, and then Glaber Torres is your third best hitter. That is not enough 
uh, that's not a complete enough lineup in my opinion to compete legitimately for a championship. So two of those three key pieces, because they're all going to be there, assuming you know relative healthy, DJ Rizzo, Stanton, like you got to get something from at least two of them. Right, and I think that you know the Yankees will be able to get away with the fact that they just have an insanely good duo in terms of Soto yep. and Judge. Like they will win some games where the production is is isolated between those two, but if you can have production from the four and five spots in the lineup as well, it it it'll make this offense exponentially better because, you know, you look back at last year and isolated production was the name of the game for this team. They they just never strung hits together. There were no rallies. You could pitch a guy differently knowing that the next two hitters after him were struggling or not completely healthy. And if this lineup gets back to the, you know, you think of the Yankees from the last couple of decades and it's, it's a lineup that's so treacherous for opposing pitchers to get through and, that's what I think the improved balance and the better athleticism, having lefties in there, having guys that get on base. I mean, if if Alex Verdugo has a good year out of the bottom of the order, if Anthony Volpe and Austin Wells are better in the bottom of the order, it's just, again, I'll say it again, it's opening up so many doors for this team because, you know, how do you get through that kind of lineup if if you can't pitch around Judge and Soto? But if if Rizzo and Stanton are both slumping right behind them, you can pitch around those guys and then, you know, take the risk with a couple men on base and, and two outs. But if those guys are, are getting driven in, then, then, you know, they're firing on all cylinders. Go cherry pick any single season, go point your finger at any season and look at the teams that are deep in the playoffs. Those lineups have depth in them. And, and there's a complete lineup there where the seven, eight, nine hitters are not automatic outs. Okay. Like it's very rare that you're going to find a deep playoff team where they are very top heavy in the lineup because, in October, sometimes Judge is going to go over four, and then and then what happens? Like someone else is going to need to to pick up the slack. Um, and and yeah, I guess there is kind of starts with injuries because before Stanton and Rizzo, let's let's focus there, can even have good seasons, they need to be healthy, and that's something that they have not been able to do. I know Rizzo with the concussion last year and Stanton consistently uh, the last few years. But I found this quote from Garrett Cole last week, very interested. We get injured too much as a group. We need to improve. Loved that quote from Cole. Uh, It's all something we knew, but the fact that he's just going to sit there and tell you, and it's also the fact that he's a guy who goes and pitches every day, uh, every, every turn on the mound. He makes 32 starts a year. So this is coming from a guy who has stayed healthy saying, yeah, we need to be healthier as a group. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's part of the issue when you organize a roster with guys that are in the tail end of their careers, when you mention LeMahieu, Stanton, Rizzo, but with how much they're being paid and the expectations of what they're going to do production-wise, I mean, you need them to stay on the field. And Rizzo was was a good player for the first couple of months before he had the concussion. And Very LeMahieu, good, actually. once he started to distance himself from the toe in the second half, he was looking a little more like the the vintage guy who's going to put the ball in play and wreak havoc with runners in scoring position, that kind of player. So, I mean, if if they can get not vintage versions, but just resurgent seasons from those three, and if Glaber's going to have another solid year and a walk year, Verdugo's in a walk year, I mean, just you factor all of that in with Judge and Soto because you can trust in them if they can stay on the field for the whole season to have great years that that gives you a top offense in the American League, or at least in contention for one. Yeah. But there are some what-ifs there, right? And I think that that's still the trend this spring, 
can they stay healthy? Can they produce consistently? And and can that group gel on a day-to-day basis? Because this is this is MLB. It's it's such a marathon that as much as on paper it looks like this offense can be really good, and that's been the trend with what we're hearing in spring training. The Yankees like what they have on offense, but they usually do going into every season. And so they've got to prove after last year that they can they can live up to those expectations. Yeah, Rizzo up until the concussion last year was actually having one of his better seasons in recent memory. He was he was really really good on on track for another 30 home runs and he was hitting I forget his exact batting average at the time but I think it was in like the 280s or something uh, when he went down. So yeah, that was a huge loss for the team last year and then obviously judged with with the toe um judge also spoke that uh yeah the toe is going to be constant maintenance and said for the rest of my career now i'm not talking just this year rest of my career constant maintenance on this toe to make sure it does not flare up yeah i, I think you can look at that <clears throat> in a couple ways like one the the panicking yankee fan will think that that's going to make it an injury concern for the rest of his career and yeah i mean constant maintenance means that it is something that you have to keep an eye on and maybe he can't play 162 going forward as he starts to get older. He's a big guy, a lot of weight on the toe and 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 such. But if they're trusting him to play center field, I don't think it's going to be an issue. He's certainly healthy right now. And he was still playing at an MVP level when he came back from the injury at the end of last season. So if you're getting that player moving forward, it doesn't seem like it's a, a downgrade to, to the other guys we were talking about when they were compromised by injuries. It was a completely different player. So I don't think that fans should necessarily uh go into uh you know depression mode based on hearing that that judge isn't going to be the same guy i think he will still be one of the best if not the best hitters in the league but something to to keep in the back of your minds in case he you know hits the base hard or something like that like it's just you got to be careful with it or like how many times have we heard you know we're gonna get judge off his feet in tampa because of the turf or something like that so Um, and, and that's not something, I mean, that's something they've done always, but seem to be, uh, I guess the, the, the year 2022, when he hit 62 home runs, that didn't seem to be as much of a thing. Um, but you know, in, in the years following, you know, 2019, 2021, that was definitely a thing we heard a lot is, oh, we're going to get judge back to back days off because, to, you know, tomorrow's a day off and, and today's a, a travel day. So he's sitting stuff, stuff, stuff like that. So wouldn't be surprised if I, if we see more of that this year. But hey, it's it's also worth noting that, you know, Boone has already mentioned that Judge is going to DH more often this season if he's starting in center field. And so by bringing in Trent Grisham and having yeah. an elite center fielder, that makes that easier. And, you know, Stanton might be the one. That, I was just going to say option. that means Stanton needs to play the outfield, though. And so that is the complete wild card here, because if Stanton can't play the outfield once or twice a week, how are you going to afford to be able to DH judge twice a week? And you may want to DH Soto on some sure. day because he's the weaker defender. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's it's a good problem to have to have more than three capable outfielders. But how many capable outfielders do they really have? Because I think that's the. That's the narrative every spring that, you know, Stan's going to play a little bit more outfield this year if he's healthy. And and sometimes that brings the best out of him on offense when he feels like more of a complete player. I don't think they should force the issue with that, especially if Grisham is a better offensive player this year. You know, who knows if he works with new hitting coach Rousen, if he's going to take his offensive production to the next level, because I think he hit under 200 uh, definitely last year, if not both of the last two years. Maybe as a career year offensively and the speed plays. 
because we know he's an elite defender out there. And if you have him as a capable center fielder a couple days a week, you can put Judge back in right and have Soto at DH. But if Stanton's playing well, you want to make sure Stanton's still in the lineup. And so you may see a very different outfield on a day-to-day basis and Boone's just going to have to juggle the playing time in that sense. You might also see it if a lefty's on the mound, you might see um you, you might not see Verdugo in the lineup at all. Right. And and then uh but then that's the question is who's playing left field because they're definitely not sticking Stanton in left field. And so that would be Soto in left, Stanton in right, Grisham in center, Judge DH in in that if we're, if we're looking to get Judge a half day off type of thing. And I I do think that Grisham shouldn't be swept under the rug here in terms of obviously he's in the Soto trade like he won't be viewed the same way but I do think he's going to play quite a bit and that also could mean him coming in late in games as a defensive replacement but then you start to put more pressure on Oswaldo Cabrera or whoever else is an outfielder because if you're taking guys out of games then your your bench is going to start to be depleted and you turn around and it's the 10th inning or something and all you have is a Cabrera to come in and replace somebody and he has a big at bat I mean, the depth that they have is is a little unproven at this point because they didn't go out and sign uh, or or acquire a veteran. There were rumors about you know Tony Kemp and Gio Rochella and those guys recently. Um, the bench right now, and, and we'll talk about catcher, but it's it's Cabrera and Peraza are your your utility position players, and they haven't necessarily proven that they can be um, consistent producers on offense yet. Cabrera, the expectations were so high for him last year after the rookie season were, were they though like I, i'm trying to put myself back in a year ago at this time and i know uh it was basically hicks and him fighting for the left field job in spring last year right yeah yeah but didn't hicks win the job <laughs> I, you look back at the playing time and cabrera did have his opportunities um i don't remember who started on opening day and i guess that doesn't really matter that much in terms of who won the job um but yeah, I mean, they were they were rolling with the two internal options that they had, and both of them didn't, you know, grasp the role and and run with it, which is I think what they were hoping for. Cabrera was okay when he got called back up at the end of the season, right? He was better, yeah. yeah. But I think you can still look at that as a, a sophomore slump, basically yeah. the entire year. But uh, realistically, what is Oswaldo Cabrera? Like, like he's exactly what you described—a a, a bench piece. He, he's not a starting player, right? I mean, he's he's spunky. I think he's a great clubhouse presence seeing him around um always a smile on his face you know he's going to work hard and yeah i mean the the defensive versatility isn't something that everyone even anticipated right because when he was a yep. rookie and he started making these crazy catches in the outfield that that the made one him game more valuable the, the one game he didn't he like rob a home run and and like dive into the stands down the line or something yeah, like yeah. that i remember the robbed home run and right um, or then I think it was like that weekend, didn't he play third base or something like that? And then he like dove over the tarp. It was something crazy where he made two unbelievable plays at two completely different positions all in one weekend. I, I don't know if they would put him in center, but he can legitimately play every other position. Um, he would probably be, I mean, because <clears throat> we saw IKF quite a bit in center field last year. Right. And so the the depth in center field to start the season at least until whenever Jason Dominguez comes back is is Grisham Judge and then Verdugo I guess probably would be the third option yeah but I mean now that you mentioned Dominguez I mean this entire conversation we've had about the outfield totally shifts once Dominguez is back to yep. being healthy and then you have even more of a surplus of capable outfielders because then is Verdugo not an everyday outfielder at that point probably not if everybody's healthy and and playing well. 
and certainly if Stanton is at DH. So that's something right. to keep an eye on these first couple of months is that Dominguez will be back at some point, potentially early on in the summer. And once he's there, I mean, Grisham won't play as much probably. Verdugo, we'll see how he does. But does he become more expendable in terms of the the playoff, playoff the playing time picture? And well, I think you can you then have the luxury to pick your spots with these guys and right. and like Verdugo, his his numbers against righties are really, really good. Like he's got like, I think, a 900 OPS against righties against lefties. Or I think last year he had a 900 OPS against righties against lefties. Horrible. So you can pick your spots a little bit more with Verdugo. Yeah. And, and even Judge has mentioned that Verdugo could be used in the leadoff spot, too, because he, he was I could see that as well he was there with Boston and, and produced well there, especially if DJ is not consistent. That's like you're not going to pencil in DJ LeMahieu at leadoff if he's hitting 256 again. Sure. And, and that's that's the bottom line with all of this is that you're taking an outfield that had uh, Jake Bowers, Billy McKinney, Willie Calhoun and Cabrera was your starter and left. Yep. And IKF was playing out there quite a bit. Harrison Bader wasn't the productive offensive player that they hoped he would be. And now your outfield is all of these guys that we've talked about. And and you're bringing up Dominguez as a midseason acquisition. And if his eight games last year are any indication, he's going to be a force. I mean, obviously, that we have to temper those expectations a little bit because he still is a rookie and he hasn't seen big league pitching that much. And that's why I think that his reps in AAA will be very important to make sure that he's healthy, but also to get back into the swing of things. Um, but you suddenly have four or five capable outfielders, and that's they, the Yankees took that from a glaring weakness to a legitimate strength this winter. And I think that they they deserve some applause there for that because that was a an issue they should have addressed last offseason. Going so into you last, come in with yeah. that need this winter, and they addressed it right away. So as much as there are potentially some holes. Uh, in in the pitching staff, or at least unproven guys that they're going to lean on, um, they they definitely accomplished their mission in terms of making the outfield better this winter. All right. So, what are your thoughts at the catcher spot? We mentioned it briefly, but you know, Higgy, longtime backup catcher, not there anymore. Trevino dealt with injuries last year, but really, like the the first half twenty twenty two when he was an all star. Since then, he's defensively still been good, offensively. He, I think we know what he is. I think there's, I don't want to call it importance or pressure on Austin Wells, but uh, a little bit, a little bit of importance placed on, on Austin Wells being a contributor here. Definitely. I think that the way that Wells produced in his one month with the club last year raised those expectations too, because as much as he struggled mightily early on, he ended the year I have the numbers, yeah. pretty darn well. 13 and, for 41 over his last 11 games with a 900 plus over a 900 OPS in his final, you know, 41 at bats, call it. You saw a guy that was getting used to seeing big league pitching and starting to really flash that potential on a daily basis when he was in the lineup. And also, I was not surprised because I think that you hear from, you know, Tanner Swanson, the catching coordinator, and other folks in the organization that Wells is maybe a better defender than the reputation that he has, or it's something that he's been working on quite a bit. Um, he looked better than I thought he would on defense with those expanded opportunities, but the defense is, is part of the conversation here, right? Because Ben Rortvet is elite behind the plate and you saw him working exclusively as Garrett Cole's catcher at the end of the year. And I don't believe he has an option, no, meaning that if Trevino is healthy and he's not going to start 
spring training on time with the the calf strain that he had. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that because an injury he had last spring turned out to be something that would end his yeah. season in the summer, and he was compromised the whole first half. Um, if Trevino is healthy, I think he'll be your your main catcher because of the the track record, the experience, the defense. He's like the backbone. I was going to ask you about that. You think main catcher meaning you know starting three out of five, or or is it going to be? I guess that's you know it's either two out of five or three out of five. But like you know what I mean? Like is he gonna is it going to be a good amount more than Wells? Do you think? Ideally, not for the Yankees, right? right? I mean, ideally, Wells takes another significant step forward, and they can use him as Cole's catcher, depending on the matchup. Um, I don't know if Cole or, or Stroman or any of those guys is going to want a personal catcher, but if the Yankees can use those two as a real tandem and put them in situations where they can excel against different matchups and different ballparks or whatever it is, you know, Rodon used Wells pretty much every time out, if I remember correctly. Um, I don't know who has what preference, but if Wells is going to be a better defender, I think the offense is going to play. And I think that that's why he is a long-term piece for them because his swing, you know, we always say it for left-handers, but it really is tailor-made for the stadium. I mean, he has the pop at that position that's very rare. And if he can, you know, handle big league pitching, I think the power is going to play and he can be a steady contributor for them. But when Trevino's at his best, he he was an all-star. Maybe that was an anomaly to a certain extent, but but he's a really good defensive catcher that the pitching staff wants to throw to. And I don't know how Rortvet fits. I mean, the defense is there, right? His arm is is elite, elite. But how do you fit him in if if you want Wells to take the next step as right. a prospect? You got to give him that playing time. I mean, if Wells is is producing decently at the plate like that's that's going to be your production from catcher because trevino is not he'll have his moments maybe but he's not going to be an offensive producing catcher and we know rortfett's not going to be so unless you're comfortable i guess you could afford this if you're not happy with wells maybe his defense or his production and you're getting production from the rest of the lineup you can live with no offensive production from catcher but like like you just outlined, like Wells is a was a prospect because of his bat. He 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 went through the minor leagues because of his bat. Like give him that opportunity to to see if he can be an offensive catcher at the major league level. Certainly, yeah, and and again that that's what he showed at the very end of last season. That was the glimpse, and it was more than Dominguez, right? It was it was a couple weeks where he started to heat up, and he hit that off opposite field home run in Toronto, and you're like, wow, that yeah. That's that's going to play if he can do that consistently. But the the good thing is that you have three capable big league catchers right now, and injuries do happen. You know, like we were just talking about, Trevino went down in spring training with something and tried to play through it. Wells didn't even have a spring training last year because he had the right. the oblique rib, rib injury and, yeah. and it knocked him out for all of spring. So do do you know uh, what the criticism of Wells's defense was? Because I was reading something recently where it said his pop time is actually and and to, maybe his arm strength isn't the best, but his total time to get the ball to second base is actually above average. If I remember correctly, I think it was his arm strength, and obviously framing is is so important. Too. That's more important now than than arm strength is yeah. framing. And, and now with the new rules, I mean guys are stealing bases on on everybody. Right. Um, so. I do think that Rortvet has enough of a strong arm to control a running game. I don't remember off the top of my head where he ranks framing wise. Obviously, Trevino and Higashioka too—they're they're as elite as it gets in terms of framing. So, 
Yeah, I mean, all of that's part of the discussion. And I think that you're going to see Wells incrementally get better. This isn't a, a Gary Sanchez situation where, where defense is going to consistently be a liability. You know, that's something that Wells really prides himself in and something that when you talk to him, he, he knows that he needs to get even better. But it, it, he thinks that it's a strength of his, I, I, I believe. I remember, well, <clears throat> Michael King, obviously no longer with the team, but I remember when Michael King was throwing to Austin Wells at the end of last season, he talked right. about how he was impressed with Wells his preparation for the game and how he would go to King, you know, the day before to map out a game plan for, for the start so that he made sure they were on the same page. And, and I remember King talking in post game, sort of praising that. So it's not literally just about framing. Like you also have to have the right, you have to be on the same page as the pitcher. You have to, you know, be, um, be in, in, in sync with the pitcher. And, and so I know probably for Garrett Cole, that's huge being, being on the same page as the catcher. So I would love to see, him throw to Wells at least a handful of times. I, I hate the personal catcher thing. Um, yeah. Anyone who listens to, to to this show knows that, but like, I, I just feel that you're, you're, you're pigeonholing yourself uh, into a spot. Then like, Oh, guys only thrown to one player all year. And then what happens if you have a big game at the end of the season and that catcher's hurt, like the guy's right. not going to be able to throw to the other catcher. Like that just seems bad. I mean, I'd I'd imagine this spring that Wells will have opportunities to at the very least catch bullpens and maybe work with him in in his spring starts. But something else that occurred to me is that Wells has quite a bit of experience with some of the the new faces that are going to be used in the pitching staff too. And you know, I don't know how I don't know if that's a you know unquantifiable experience with those guys or whatever. But if if Will Warren is coming up and and Clayton Beater and some of those guys that are also prospects that came up you know, in and around the same path that Wells has been on, you know, that it's only going to make everybody better with the experience and the familiarity and, and the camaraderie that those guys have behind the scenes. All right, real quickly, before we wrap up, what are your thoughts on, on Volpe? Because I feel like he's uh, not been talked about as certainly as much as last spring when he was fighting for a job, but kind of just, um, I know he did one interview where he talked about like the goal is to win a World Series type of thing. It was more about the team than about himself. But what are your expectations for Volpe this year? Oh man, I mean he had he had a good rookie year, but he also had a, a rookie year where he fell short of expectations. I mean, when you have someone that he was what first Yankee rookie to have twenty plus homers and twenty plus steals, first Gold Glove at shortstop, or only other Gold Glove at shortstop other than Jeter. I mean, those are tremendous attributes to have or accolades to have as a first year shortstop with the expectations that come with that position in pinstripes. But, you know, anyone that evaluates him or knows him would, would say that him hitting 209 with a right. OPS 660. Yeah. It, it's that is where he needs to improve. And there were stretches where he looked overmatched consistently and wasn't able to produce uh, consistently as he did in the minor leagues, right? You, you look at his production in you know full season in double a or whatever it was it's a guy that's that's a threat on offense on a daily basis and he was oftentimes uh, more in the black hole category like the other spots in the lineup where he just wasn't getting it done um i'll reference something that aaron judge said on sean casey's podcast i don't know if you guys watched that um it was at the end of last week and judge talked extensively about the the time that he spent with volpe over the off season how they've, they've both been among the guys that are down in Tampa early over the last couple of weeks, getting their work in. And Judge mentioned something that if if I were Volpe's hitting coach, I would say the same thing. You, you focus on putting the ball in play more and using the opposite field and letting your 
entire skill set, the the tools that allowed you to be this top prospect to play more. Because if if you're putting the ball in play, even if it's sometimes a ground ball, you're making the defense try to make a play when you you have the speed to to beat out some ground balls. You know, don't always sell out to try to hit a home run. And even if his home runs do go down a little bit this season, if the average goes up tens and tens of points right. and the on-base percentage too, you know, when you're getting on base less than, it was like 283, I think, off the top of my head. I mean, that's not going to fly. No, because he's probably going to be the nine hitter. And right. so he's going to be the, quote, turn the lineup over guy ahead of the the big top of the order. You, you can't be getting on 28% of the time. So it, it, it'll come down, I think, for him to his numbers, particularly against breaking balls, need to get better. And it's just strictly like the whiff rate and the fact that he had 167 strikeouts. If he can cut down on those deficiencies, put the ball in play much more often. And yeah, he's going to run into quite a few home runs because he has some serious pop for a, a shortstop. And I think the ceiling is like what Bobby Witt Jr. did uh, in his second year, I think. And, and that's maybe the model that that uh, Volpe can follow as someone that, yes, he's going to run into some homers. He's going to play quality defense. But on a day to day, you're seeing a guy that's, you know, gap to gap. Uh, a, a really tough at bat for opposing pitchers. And like you said, turning the lineup over because like we talked about at the very beginning of this, if the veterans around judge and Soto are hitting, I mean, it, it makes that, that one through four even better if Volpe's leading off in the nine hole right. and getting on base. And that totally changes the trajectory of an inning. So they need him to take that step forward because that's his spot. And if he can play another, because the durability is going to be there. He played in 159 games. He probably could have played in 162 last year. So I think he'll improve, uh, certainly on offense. It's just with that experience that he gathered this past season, uh, seeing how much of a challenge big league pitching is and and the work this winter, uh, can he cut down on those parts of his game uh, that that really detracted from the the flashes that that made his rookie year special? Like imagine this time last year, someone told you Anthony Volpe is going to be a 2020 guy and win the gold glove this year. You would have said, well, he's going to win the rookie of the year. Right. And he he got one rookie of the year, third place vote last year. That's it. And it's because of all those things you described. Like the highs were there. We saw flashes, uh, you know, some brief stretches where he looked really good, but it was so inconsistent and, and it was mostly lows at the plate last year. And I think, yeah, he's got to be more consistent. Um I, I don't know if there's a world at some point this summer, if he's still struggling at the plate and inconsistent, if, if he gets moved from, from shortstop or, or gets benched from shortstop, like I, that would still be hard for me to envision, but I feel like there will be conversations starting if, if we're in June or July and he's still hitting 209 with a 660 OPS, like you have to start to question that. Yeah. I remember, I don't remember what time it was last year, but over the summer I wrote something suggesting that they should consider sending him down. I think it was one of his, you know, the, the valleys of his already, I'll say disappointing, but obviously we talked about some of the positives there too. It was a, it was a tough stretch for him. And you look at his numbers recently, but also over the course of his season to that point, and you wonder if he's going to be able to turn it around. But I do think that the Yankees are rolling with him. He earned that spot. He is their guy, their highly touted prospect, their first round pick. And, you know, we could talk about Oswald Peraza and how he hasn't really had an opportunity there. Uh, if they had another, you know, 
proven and and talented shortstop. Not to say that Peraza isn't talented, but they they've shown that they don't really want to use him there in, in an extended playing time role. So I would be surprised. It would take a a step back offensively, I think, for them to consider that kind of step with Volpe because you know you wonder what that would do for his confidence and and, yeah. and he yeah. needs to continue to see pitching in the big leagues to grow. But yeah, yeah I mean, we'll see. I'm I at the point last year when I realized they were not going to send him down. I was like, okay, let him take his lumps and just they stuck with him all year and and hopefully he learns and grows from this because yeah, if not, I have high. I maybe it's unfair. I have high expectations for him this year to to actually take a step forward uh, in his sophomore season. Because sure. then you have to question like, is this guy the player? Like, is this is this the future shortstop? Is this a future all star caliber player like he was billed to be? Like, if it doesn't happen this year, obviously it can still happen. But then then it's a lot harder to do. And it comes down to how the lineup is performing around him too, because. There were times last year where Volpe struggling was even more glaring because everybody was struggling yeah. after yeah. Judge. And yeah. if, you know, I, I know this is redundant, but it's kind of the trend this spring, right? I mean, if everybody around him is playing well, it takes the pressure off of him. It, it, it's going to put him in better situations to succeed. And I think that goes a long way for a player. It, it's as simple as the guys in the dugout just buzzing when they put 10 runs on the board. Right. I mean, there's even more pressure when it's your third at bat and, you know, guys, the team, the team has two hits and you're down two nothing and it's the eighth inning. It's like, exactly, yeah. exactly. And it changes your approach. It, it adds unnecessary pressure to, to a situation where there will always be pressure when you're the shortstop of the New York Yankees. So if, if guys are on base, if you're putting rallies together, extending innings, putting crooked numbers on the board, I think all of that will contribute positively to, um, you know, fostering a, a situation where Volpe will be more successful. Cool. All right, Max, thanks again for joining, and we'll talk to you again next week. Sounds like a plan. Have a good rest of the week. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.